Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Super big thanks goes out to Ace Andrews as he'll be engineering the show today and taking your calls a little later on. Hey, check out I Work For Him. Do Martha and I a favor and take a moment and go out to iWorkForHim.com. Consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Listen, I know we've got thousands of listeners across the country and around the globe, and I know it takes time, but go out to iWorkForHim.com and click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. Consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Consider being one of those people in your workplace that says this, I'm willing to start praying for my coworkers and employees by name each and every day. I'm willing to look for ways to serve those that I work with. I'm willing to look for ways to befriend those that I work alongside each and every day. I'm willing to look for ways to pray with people when given the opportunity and when I notice that people are just having a rough day. But all along, I'm willing to be a person of excellence in my workplace that no matter what I do, I'm bringing glory to the Lord with my excellence in my workplace. That's what it means to join the I Work For Him Nation. We're looking for people to make that commitment because you making that impact on your workplace will change lives and it starts with the change in your own heart go out to iworkforhim.com click on the i work for him nation flag and join today it does take a paradigm shift just to be a christ follower it takes a paradigm shift we need to understand that the world doesn't offer us any permanent solutions all it does is offer band-aids and maybe a little you know kind of an antibiotic but it really in the end the world offers no permanent solutions but Romans 12 2 talks about the kind of solution that you and I need it says don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think ladies and gentlemen our world is plagued by people who run countries who don't understand the value of freedom. And even in our own country, there are many that would vote away our freedom in favor of things that take away our freedom of religion, our freedom to exercise our rights afforded us in the Constitution. What's amazing is when those restrictions are released, we've seen many times in Russia, the Eastern Bloc countries, the the former uh, Eastern Germany, when the walls are broken down, the gospel thrives. And that's what's happening in in an island nation just 50 miles off the coast of Florida called Cuba. We've got an expert in Cuba on the show show today, Alan Thompson. He's the president of of the International Church Planting Center, and he's really going to talk to us today about the Cuba story, how God is redeeming this island nation and how the marketplace fits into all of this. Alan Thompson, welcome to I Work For Him. 
So glad to be with you, Jim. I'm just thrilled, you know, the the connections for you to get here today, you know, through my buddy Bob Cater up in Atlanta that you sat down with him in a breakfast meeting and had a conversation, and Bob was so moved by this story. He goes, Jim, you've got to share this story with thousands of people at one time, and, and that's and that's why we're here today, and I'm so grateful for you giving us that time. Well, so glad to join you and the many listeners to talk about my favorite place, Cuba. Now, it's not a place I've been before, but I, I, I know that someday, I think, just since I could practically drive there if they had cars with, you know, propellers, uh, it, it uh, uh, you know, it's it literally spitting distance off the coast of Florida, and yet very few of us my age and younger, uh, 50 years old and younger, know anything about Cuba because it, it's, been, it's been shut down my entire lifetime. That's right. You know, it's, it's kind of been it's so close and yet so far. And for 50 years, people just have had no communication with with the country. So it's a wonderful time now as things are opening up and uh, to know what God is doing with those wonderful people there. You know, Alan, as we head into our first break, we've got a couple of minutes, but I always like to start the show with just talking about how the Lord is making an impact in people's lives, because it doesn't matter what our story is or what our background is, the Lord does amazing things in our lives, and yet each one of us has our own personal relationship with Him. Talk to us, talk to the listeners and myself about how you've noticed the Lord getting involved in those intimate details in your life recently. Well, you know, Jim, uh, all of us have big issues and small issues, and uh, I was just thinking this morning, I was working on my computer and things relating to, to the Cuba ministry, and all of a sudden, everything in my computer went awry, and I spent uh, a couple hours trying to fix things by way, and nothing would happen, so finally... I just closed the computer down, and I bowed my head and said, Lord, I'm at the end of my wits with regard to this specific problem. I need you to intervene. I need this computer to be working, but I can't do anything about it. And, uh, you know, a few minutes later, I reopened my computer, and the issue that I had been working on, was resolved. And I said, Lord, even in the smallest areas of life, you are there to be with us. Thank you for even in this very specific issue where I was so concerned, you intervened. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what's really encouraging to the rest of the listeners, including myself, that you haven't been a believer for I don't know how many years, but in your maturity, it still took you two hours to pray that. So that's an encouragement that there's hope for all of us and that maybe we can actually start praying that about 20 minutes in instead of two hours in. Listen, we're talking today with Alan Thompson. He's the president of International Church planting center and he's talking about cuba and right before the break alan gave us one of the most incredible insights now alan how many years have you been walking with the lord i have been walking with the lord for six 75 years God, it's unbelievable 75 years and, and alan i really wasn't making fun of what you shared in your story i was just trying to encourage people that even a veteran of the faith sometimes we just get to be so self 
we, we think we got to figure it out. And then right. in, in the simplicity of it, the Lord goes, hey, you know, if you just pray about this, <laughs> even I can help you with computer problems. And, that's and it's, right. <laughs> and, and yet it took you a couple hours. And, but that's the encouragement. As, ladies and gentlemen, listening, the Lord really does care about the intimate details of our lives. He really wants to get involved, but he needs to be invited in. He's not going to force himself on us. And if we just ask... The amazing things happen, just like Alan prayed for the Lord helping with his computer problems, and it fixed itself. And right. we all know the computers are evil anyway. And they're, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. Okay. Right. So, Alan, we're here to talk about Cuba, and we're here to talk about the amazing ministry that's going on down there. Everybody in Florida here, those people listening in Florida, we've been hearing the rumblings. There's a lot of movement here in Florida. A lot of churches have gone on, gone on and gone over there on exploratory trips or whatever they want to call them, but they're, they're making connections with believers on the island of Cuba. It's super easy to get there. And now they're talking about, there's a couple of major airlines talking about opening up daily travel, uh, non-charter travel to Cuba on a regular daily basis. And, and so they're right. working that out with the FAA. So that's huge for the explosion of the gospel. What's, what's important is, how we get our Cuban neighbors up to speed with training and encouragement because these people have lived behind the Iron Curtain for fit. Well, the Bay of Pigs was 1962, right? Do I have that right? It was before 59. 59, excuse me. Ah, the Bay of Pigs wasn't in 59, though, but that's my always. Okay, but that's when they started having issues where Cuba started going behind the Iron Curtain. 1959 is a long time ago, 58 years ago. It's it's unbelievable. 57 years ago, it's unbelievable. These people are now coming out, and, and they're starting to hear about what's going on, and they're excited to hear about the gospel. So how did you come to be an expert in all things Cuba? <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm an expert, but uh, the reason I've gotten involved in it was because of my parents. They were missionaries in Cuba. Uh, and started working there in 1928, and therefore uh, I was born there and raised there. Uh, I was uh, in Cuba then as a youngster till I was 15, came to this country for 10 years of education, and then I returned back to Cuba. And uh, he and, and my wife and I uh, were directors of the seminary that my father had started, and through that seminary, uh, prior to the revolution, over a hundred churches were established. So I was kind of nurtured in that whole movement of the gospel and uh, church uh, mission and outreach. And uh, then uh, my wife and I went through the revolution in 1959, were there through 1960, and then uh, with other missionaries, uh, we uh, left the island, and uh, the church in Cuba was plunged into the uh, you know, tremendous uh, darkness uh, of the revolution. And uh, I wasn't able to return for 20 years. But then since 1980, I have been returning doing uh, ministry uh, in Cuba, and more recently, the last five years, uh, very intensive work with the churches that were started uh, before the revolution, 
and then uh, additional uh, churches that have been started in recent years. All right. I want people to understand that are listening today. You know, I work for him is all about purposefully equipping vibrantly effective Christ followers in the workplace. And some of them are probably going, well, Jim, what's the connection? Why why are you talking with Alan Thompson from the International Church Planting Center? And here's why. The movement of Christ followers in the marketplace is is what is going to cause a huge revival in in Cuba. It's it's because the churches still have some restrictions on them, don't they? Uh, right, right. And so it's going to be that freedom of people to live their faith out in the marketplace that makes a difference. And it's the discipleship that's going on that's really making that encouragement. And that's why I had you on today, because I want people to hear, because what's going on in Cuba and other former communist countries is really the kind of the same kind of stuff that really needs to go on here in the United States. That, that discipleship, that taking our faith to work and using it to really explode the gospel and, and the impact of the gospel in the marketplace I, it's, I just want people to hear the faith stories of what's going on in Cuba and have it as an encouragement for us, because I don't know if we're ever going to go behind the Iron Curtain here in the United States, but persecution of Christians in the workplace, persecution of Christians in the church is definitely getting ramped up every day here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's out of that uh, period of uh, real suffering that God begins to bring in uh, a new church with uh, vision and with vigor and with enthusiasm. And that's what we're seeing in Cuba today. So the churches that you participated in planting, you know, with the training that you got, after you, you, you worked under your parents, you went back and got 10 years of, of schooling in the States and then came back to Cuba and you started planting some churches before the revolution. These were gospel preaching churches, correct? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And, uh, and they were uh, all, uh, they were, did not belong to a denomination like, uh, you know, a group in the state starting them. It was all started by Cubans who graduated from that Bible Institute and seminary. So it was a Cuban evangelical gospel church. That's awesome. And we're, you know, denominations, a lot of times, I try to tell people, listen, denominations, there should just be one. It's called Christianity, but we've broken it out into, since the Reformation, we added ten to 15,000 denominations. It's some ridiculousness. Talk to me about how, when the, when the Iron Curtain uh, rose up, you mentioned in an article that I wrote, or that I read that you wrote, that this church became bound up in the legalism. Explain that to me. Well, how did that happen? Because the yeah. legalism in, kind of is like a disease that hits, it almost in, gets uh, passed on or spreads within churches that aren't behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah, well, legalism basically is uh, an approach to build your own moral history by your own willpower and then present it to God thinking that God owes you then salvation. Now, in Cuba, basically, the legalism, and, and many of these churches, they, you know, after they were silenced for 30 years of intense suffering, uh, they became very fearful, and they became uh, very closed in because they were afraid to share their own uh gospel stories with others for fear of discrimination and for fear of being attacked. But well, let's, let's just, let's... in relation to legalism, they would say we were saved by faith and by grace, but we grow and we are 
sanctified by works. <laughs> In other words, we have to earn our sanctification by all kinds of rules. But so they develop these rules as a way to not only cope with the situation, but to try to please God in the midst of the situation. So it had to do with outward externals and dress codes and all types of rules that they were bound to basically follow and obey in order to grow in their Christian life. But where did they get those ideas? I mean, if, if they trained in your seminar, in your, in your schools, where did they get the ideas that legalism would... I mean, how did that eat? It's almost like it's something evolved in the church that they decided to add to the gospel. Where did that those ideas come from? Well, it came basically, and this is true of all of the communist uh, countries <clears throat> in Russia as well as in, in other areas, but where you have been suppressed and not been able to express your beliefs, uh, where there is fear... Uh, where there is uh, a, a tremendous uh, sense of being isolated, that then you, you, you say, well, how can I express my faith? Now, remember, during these years, there was no literature coming in. There was no uh, exposure to uh, teaching on, on the Christian life. And so basically, in protection, they added these rules and uh, it really stifled the church a great deal. So, you know, I've, I've had, uh, about two months ago, I had a pastor associated with Transworld Radio uh, come up from Cuba, and he had been imprisoned uh, right after the revolution for three years, kind of a, a work, communist work camp, and then was released and allowed to go back and right. was, was told he could work within his church, but he could not um, go out. You couldn't, nothing about the gospel, any side, anywhere outside of the church. What drove this fear? I mean, what happened? Maybe you can't answer that question. I'm not going to ask you that question. I know that there was, did people get in trouble for sharing the gospel outside of the church walls? Is that what happened? Well, they were afraid to share the gospel outside of the the church and their families because there was a great deal of discrimination. Uh, Anyone that, that claimed to be a Christian uh, you know, their uh, their children could not uh, have the opportunities in, in school, in any types of jobs. They were all excluded and really uh, very fearful. So uh, basically, this made them much more uh, introverted in terms of their Christian faith and their Christian expression. As you were sharing in Atlanta with my friend Bob and the group of people that you were talking to there— about the work going on in Cuba focused on training and evangelism and developing deep relationships. What is this movement all about? Uh, Jim, I think to understand the movement, we also uh, have to understand the context of Cuba. Okay. Uh, And I'm talking to the context, you know, after Russia fell in 1989, then 1990, Cuba was abandoned economically, by Russia, and uh, what happened was the beginning of what Castro called the special period, where there was tremendous, tremendous poverty. And that has uh, continued through the last 15 years since 1990. 
Now, put yourself in a situation where there is tremendous education. Let's, let's give real credit where there is credit. Cuba has the highest education of any country in Latin America, 99.9% literacy. No kidding. Okay. In other words, you have people that are very, very literate and educated. But with that, then, is the economy that is totally broken. And so people really, when you're paid $30 a month, no, and 90% of the people are employed by the government. So you get 30 to $40 a month pay. Uh, what would you think of yourself at, when you have, you're a doctor or you are uh, uh, a, a, a skilled uh, professional and you're only paid 30 or $40 a month? What it does is it erases your dignity, your sense of worth. And then there's nothing to really, you, you, you don't have anything to encourage you. So, that, you know, there's no interesting television. There is no Internet. There is no, and so you are bored. Now, put yourself in that situation. You have education. You're paid very little. You're not respected for what you have done in your own training, and now bored, what worth is there? Now, it explains, is, i, I got to tell you, Alan, that explains you know, a lot of Americans. Uh, I've always wondered, why would people get on a boat and hope that they could cross those 50 miles between Cuba and Key West? And okay, what you just described— is exactly why somebody would get on a boat. I mean, the the desperateness, the the attack on their dignity, making fifty bucks, forty, thirty bucks a month, and knowing that it doesn't matter how well educated you are, you're never going to get anywhere. That would get you on a boat and go. Oh, if I could just make the shores of the United States of America, my life will be different. Okay, that's a very wonderful illustration of of what it drives you to. So then you're in that situation. Every one of us needs a center that gives us meaning and gives us worth. All of us need a core value by which we weigh our, our activities. Uh, and you may be well-educated. You may have, uh, you know, opportunities. But when there's no self-worth, you're open, you're empty, and you're seeking. Now, this is where the gospel then comes into that context. So people, you know, talk to me and say, why is the gospel being so fruitful in Cuba? Well, one thing is the power of the gospel. But you put the power of the gospel in a situation that is totally broken in every way possible. There's a tremendous response to the gospel. Now, just a, a small a statistic. In 1990, then, when this all uh, began to occur, <clears throat> Then uh, Castro had his first meeting with evangelical pastors. And then he said, what can I do for you? He wanted to win them over in order to help during this very critical time. They said, well, you have to stop discriminating. You have to stop then uh, treating us as dirt, as, as Christians. They were very clear with it. He said, okay. And so he made changes. In fact, do you know that it was when the Pope came in 1998? 
that they celebrated and clarified that Christmas could once again be celebrated. Hmm. Now, here's the beginning of the turn. Between 1990 and the present, uh, it's been the rush of people to accept the gospel, embrace it, and live for God. And now about 10% of the population of Cuba is Christian. Now, I'm not talking, I'm talking about evangelical Christian. His background is uh, Roman Catholic. But I'm talking about a million people that have come to the Lord in the last uh, 15 years. It's been amazing, amazing growth. Why? Because in this broken condition, the gospel gives hope. The gospel gives meaning. The gospel then transforms the life. So I, I just wanted, Jim, for people to understand the context, because we can think that the methodology of training is a secret. The secret is, how can God find me, pursue me, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my terrible condition? Well, and I think what you just described, Alan, makes a lot of sense for people listening today. You know, I often describe it as we, people have to get to the end of their rope before they're willing to open up their eyes and recognize that their Heavenly Father's been holding out His rope all along. And the kind of suffering in Cuba, which was widespread from from each end of the island, uh, yeah. was was massive. But people see it here, too. The our friends, our family, our coworkers and employees, they're most open to the gospel when they are under extraordinary stress, when they are looking for meaning in their lives, when, when everything seems to be falling apart. That's when all of a sudden they're like, there's got exactly. to be more. There's and got to be more. There's got to be more. And you know, it's the same, same type of thing we're beginning to experience in our own country with all of the hate and all of the discouragement and all of the... Uh, that, you know, these feelings of, of, of not being able to, to pursue your own goals, uh, God in this brokenness will do new things in our own country. Alan, as you, you, you've done such a great job laying up the story of Cuba for us and helping us understand the mindset that drives people to their knees before the Lord because they are at the end of their rope and they're, and they're searching for meaning. Talk to me about the, the training the evangelism and specifically this the, the developing of deep relationships that's going on that you're a part of. Uh, okay, Jim, uh, very important uh, that you're asking about training, uh, because uh, as I've described the context and the need, people are very open and hungry. So you have to uh, provide a way for persons to come to receive the gospel, not just to be in a school or in a lecture hall. What we wanted to develop was a community of worship, instruction, reflection, then immediate application and implementation, and then continue the worship, the instruction, etc., in a cycle of learning. So it's how to develop a learning environment where people are bored and they have nothing to do in the evenings or uh, in the weekends. So we started what we called was 
a Christian center of leadership training. And uh, you had no requirements. You did not have to fill out any application to come. You basically would show up. Now, we started with 20 leaders in one part in Havana, and then we started with 20 other leaders in uh, the extreme end of the country in Olguin. And the idea was that they would come, they would take a module, we did it over a four-day period, all day, training them in the depth of that module, and then they would go back to their churches, and each one committed to train 20 other people in that same module. Now, very interesting, we thought it would, we never had the idea of multiplication, but because the gospel was so strong as they uh, began to experience it, they went back and they trained 20 other people, and therefore the people who were being trained would also start little uh, groups of people that later became house churches, and they would then train another 20. So the idea of receiving the gospel module through instruction and interaction and destruction and instruction and then implementing it immediately in their context was a transformative method of learning. And now we've had 10 generations of people continuing to uh, receive these gospel modules, train other people, and they train others in their house churches. So how many Uh, people, Alan, how many people does that represent, 10 generations? That's got to be a lot of people. We we have uh, had participants that have come through in in these five years, 18,000 have gone through. And they have started uh, 20,000 house churches. And this, <laughs> Holy mackerel. That's a and this, lot. And this is not just in the, the one uh, church group. It's in 21 different denominations in Cuba. And uh, it, it's very interesting that uh, with the other key to this is not only the context, the Spirit of God working, uh, and implementing it in the house church small group movement, but is that God allowed us then to use the printing press that was legalized before the revolution. Now, you can't uh, import uh, books, religious books, or literature. So if you don't have a way to print them, there's no way that these people will be able to train others. So because God had given us that print shop, and uh, a foundation gave money to buy the latest digital presses that we were able to bring into the country in order to print these modules, that now that literature is spreading throughout the whole country, and it is part of this renewal and revival movement. Well, let's just step back for a minute and talk about, uh, obviously you're talking about 18,000 trained leaders, 20,000 house churches, which represent, I'm sure, uh, tens of... It would represent about uh, 200,000 people. 200,000 people. And and this is in a very short period of time, isn't it? This is five years. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So talk about the impact on the marketplace. I want to make sure the people here, as people got trained, so basically people got discipled on how to bring their faith and apply it to every part of their lives. Exactly. And then it, it, and, and they started training others. So yeah. they were part remember, of 20... this, this is not a seminary. This is not a Bible school. This is what we call a non-formal training center. And by the way, we started in two that I mentioned. Now there's 80 different training centers doing this throughout the island. That's amazing. That's so cool. And and what I'm trying to get is for people to see how this applies to the U.S. and how this can work. So talk about the impact that people are starting to see in the marketplace, Alan, as as this starts to spread. These are not uh, theological students. These are lay people, everybody. And like you say, in the marketplace of any, all kinds of jobs. Let me give you one example. In the city of Orgin, uh, in Oriente province, uh, the gospel came in one of the uh, main uh, manuals that we began using with Tim Keller as uh, prodigal God that we had in Spanish, and that, that, that tremendous parable mm-hmm. of the two lost sons uh, was used in order to bring many to the gospel and understanding uh, what it means to be not only uh, an elder brother legalist or the uh, sinner in the pig pen, both of them needing the gospel. But what happened was that in Olguin, as uh, this artist uh, heard the parable, and he began to paint then not only the using Rembrandt's uh, uh, image of the uh, of the prodigal son, but also he did another one uh, of the elder brother next to it, similar to the, the one that Reverend had done. And this started to go through the uh, artist community. Let's remember that the Cubans are very strong on art and music. And so here's the painter with these paintings, sharing the gospel of the prodigal son and the elder brother. And through him, now 30 professional artists in that city have been converted, and they're sharing their faith with their own uh, other artists. Uh, Just one example of how it is spread among the lay people and professionals in Cuba. So in this training, and and I've and you you gave me just the outline for the training. You got four critical parts to this training material: you know, personal and interpersonal, living with the gospel as part of everything that they do, communicating grace and truth in a way that forms and engages disciples, creating a missional culture, visionary leadership. How do you teach these things? I want to just hit each one and just kind of give an overview of, of how that applies to their lives. Like the personal and interpersonal living with gospel dynamic. What does that mean? All right, so we, we lost Alan for a second there, but we're talking today with Alan Thompson, the president of the International Church Planting Center. We've been talking today about the story of Cuba and how the International Church Planting Center now has 80 training centers. And these are non-formal training centers. This isn't seminary training. These are non-formal training centers that are training 20 people at a time to then go out into their villages and train 20 more people. And, and Alan, as we talk about these four different pieces of the training material, personal and interpersonal living with the gospel dynamic, what does that mean? 
Okay, that's that's the first bite. Remember, these are modules, and a module then brings together the training over two or three. A module could have ten sub uh, topics. Okay, let's let's take the one on on the gospel, personal living. What does it mean then for the gospel not only to be the basis of your salvation? But the gospel, therefore, is also the way for you to live the gospel. So what it means is that the gospel brings renewal to your life. The gospel brings repentance for your your, your own, not only for salvation, but as you enter into uh, your spiritual growth, there are things that, that the Spirit brings conviction, and you have to then repent, and by faith, accept the forgiveness of God, and then in obedience go out. So it's taking the gospel and helping us live it as we grow. Uh, and uh, we used uh, quite a number of different uh, authors to help us uh, in in preparing these modules. Your next, but, your next mo- and we're, we're running out of time, so I want to make sure I just kind of at least give an overview, because what you're telling okay. people is, you're telling people how this just is helping them apply to every part of their life. This is discipleship material that everybody needs here in the States. Your next critical part was communicating grace and truth in a way that it forms, engages disciples. Why is it so important to, to communicate grace and truth in a culture that was so wrapped up in legalism? Uh, because the gospel liberates and once you have the the truth of the gospel uh, and the understanding of the grace of god it will liberate you and therefore as you preach that gospel that is liberating then uh it will help you to communicate to others how they can be freed not only from their uh, sin and salvation but how they can uh, experience the gospel to be the power of God to liberate them also uh, from their besetting sins. Alan, as we close out the show, we got a few minutes left. Talk to me about what does it mean to, to create a missional culture? Be contextualized to, to where you're working, and we've been talking about the context of Cuba. Basically, uh, the family is broken in Cuba. Right from the beginning of the revolution, abortion was free to every every woman. And secondly, divorce was just open for $20 down the street. Uh, there's always been, uh, really, in, 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 in the Marxist uh, approach to life, uh, the destruction of the family. Now, how can the gospel bring unity and oneness? So in these uh, courses, we have uh, counseling, we have mentoring, and then we also have mercy ministries. So those three elements help us to be missional, uh, ministering to broken families, to uh, mentor persons who are beginning to grow in their faith, one-on-one mentoring, and then mercy, especially to the most vulnerable, which are the children and the elderly. So in those three areas, uh, there's been tremendous acceptance of the gospel because it's beginning to heal the families and also to deal with those who are suffering greatly 
the elderly and abandoned children. So has, have you started to see a wave of revival in marriages there in Cuba? Or repaired marriages, repaired relationships? There's, there's beginning to be a repair of marriages, yes. It's just beginning. And through this uh, process, we're training also a, a family counselors to apply the Gospels and for that to become a movement in order, because a little bit we've been doing uh, hasn't really, it's just touched the surface of the need. I wish I knew Spanish better so I could fly down there with you and start working on it. Martha, <laughs> Martha and I are so are so passionate about marriage ministry and get involved all over the place in that. Love to be able to run some marriage retreats, but my Spanish is a little weak. I got like 10 <laughs> words down. That's it. In, in closing, we got about 30 seconds left. I want you to give people an idea. How can they get involved in helping the mission that you're involved with, the interna- the International Church Planning Center? How can they help you in what's going on in Cuba? The biggest thing they can do for us is to pray kingdom-centered prayer that God will not only uh, change lives but deepen these believers and help them be kingdom-centered, not uh, denominational or other-centered, but the kingdom of God-centered. And prayer is, is, is the main means that God is using. I haven't talked about the prayer ministry, but that is a very, very important one. Well, so pray is, for us. It is the most important ministry. Let me pray for you right now, and then I'll say goodbye. Father, we do lift up Alan and his teams, all these teams, these hundreds of house churches all over Cuba. Father, we pray for an amazing revival in Cuba, and we pray that it would spread up into the United States. And Lord, we just thank you for all that work that's going on there. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Alan Thompson. Thank you so much for being on I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. All right, as, you come to, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, you've heard, you've heard it all. We need to spread the gospel in our own workplaces. You can see when people are at the end of the rope, they are desperately open to hearing the truth. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.